us begin. Isaac, it's a pleasure to host you. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you so, so much um, for hopping on the Dowlands to Squad Space today. And guys, this is a really special episode because we have Apoorv join us today, who's the CTO at Dowlands. Um, and I feel like we have a really interesting combination of questions we're going to ask and the direction we're going to take this episode into. So um, stay tuned. Welcome, guys. <laughs> Super excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, all right, so I will give a brief introduction about Isaac and then we'll just jump into it. Um, so Isaac has been the host of this amazing show, if you have not discovered. We've even shared it in our Dowlands, you know, Discord server, which is called The Dow Roast, where um, it is a framework and it asks simple questions, right? It is like, does this DAO actually do what it says it does? So it's a showdown between what the DAOs claim they do versus what they actually do. And how that's done is we kind of look at their website and their blog. That's where you get the claims. And then you look at their smart contract and their ether scan or like, you know, go down in the settings of a snapshot maybe and understand what is it that they actually do. And um, I think what is so incredible about DAO Roast is that it is compared not compared but it is linked with memes and that it makes it such a fun learning experience where you're getting these deep DAO insights but in an incredibly fun manner and um, why it's been amazing is because it's acted as a great awakening for um, community members to be able to really really understand DAOs and it's acted as a great um, reflection point for new DAOs that are coming up, you know, like what is it that we are really doing, right? And I think Isaac amazingly quoted the reason and the importance of this show is about that we keep on saying that this ecosystem is so transparent, but he said that it's actually quite opaque. And the reason for that is like information is out there, but um, it is so tough to navigate because people can't understand code, like people can't read. And um, that's why they're not able to engage with DAOs. And that is what becomes a little risky when you're not aware. So. Isaac has been doing a phenomenal job of that, even running with Logos DAO. So, Isaac, welcome. Excited to host you. And my first question to you is, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, uh, I just got home after kind of a, a few weeks on the road with like DevCon and then uh, some other things. So, like this is my, my my first week home in in New York in a while. So, just you know, settled and working and uh, enjoying being back in my normal time zone. <laughs> That's amazing. Apu, on to you now. Right. Um, <clears throat> so Isaac, uh, let's start with something you already touched upon in your DAO roasts. Um, while going through the nouns contract, something really great about it is that proposals actually automatically get executed once the votes get passed. And that is not really the case for a lot of DAOs where you typically have a couple council of sorts or maybe a couple of people who actually execute whatever needs to be done once the voting gets passed right so the question is like do you think um first of all like for the DAOs that do not have an on-chain proposal execution do you think all DAOs should have it or are there situations where do you think it's it's not really that applicable secondly do you think how do you think newer DAOs should go about implementing their <coughs> proposals, right? Do you, should they have like an automatic system? Should they have something else? Um, just, yeah, just curious about your thoughts on this topic. Sure. Um, yes, and uh, I think that it is really nice and makes it a lot easier to understand what a DAO is doing when absolutely everything they do has to go through um, an on-chain proposal. Um, but I would, I would not say that that's necessarily always the right decision for a DAO, um, just because 
um, maybe for some part of it, but like, you know, DAOs are complex organisms that have, that have many different parts. They can have many different treasuries, many different purposes, um, like kind of all around, uh, around some sort of shared goal. Um, and if we made absolutely every decision that everyone had to take, go through some like on-chain referendum um, with on-chain execution, it would probably just like grind all, all progress to a halt and kind of like hurt the agility of the DAO space. Um, so I think, it, I think um, you know, like all things, <clears throat> it's just a matter of the, the right combination. Um, so maybe for like the main, like the big DAO treasury or something, it'd be amazing if like absolutely everything had to go through referendums and, and on-chain votes and on-chain proposals, but perhaps that's just like the overarching DAO, which, uh, which like distributes like budgets to like sub-treasuries and working teams and working groups and initiatives. Um, just cause like, uh, like DAOs are much more than just a referendum machine. It's like, uh, it's like governance is much more than just voting. And so uh, I like it as a way to enforce that the members uh, that the me the members want to happen actually does happen, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be um, the way that every single decision that the DAO makes gets uh, gets executed. Right. Yeah. I mean, totally makes sense. Something I am so I really love the idea about using proposals to allot budgets or to allot funds to maybe subgroups or sub DAOs, right? And then they have maybe complete autonomy over what they do with those funds. But um, something I'm really curious about is how do you keep those subgroups or sub DAOs accountable to the funds that they were given in the first place? What if they don't really do a good job at whatever they were supposed to do? Um, yeah have you seen examples or do you have ideas about how this could look like in an ideal scenario um yeah so there's there's uh there's three scenarios that come to mind two of them are um the build guild which is an ethereum foundation funded group of developers um, another one is the protocol guild um, which is like a community funded um, group of developers that work on like uh that work on ethereum clients um, and, and the way that those two work, which I think is interesting, is it's very much like a set it and forget it. Um, uh, well, not forget it, set it, but not have to uh, type of fund management where all people that are involved in the group or, or the DAO or the guild just receive a set uh, stream of income. Um, and that only needs to change if, uh, and that only needs to change through governance if maybe that the people aren't doing the work anymore um, or if they've like changed their commitments or, um, so it's like, it's it's much more of like a, you decide the, the rate at which people are paid um, and then you only have to, um, you only have to like make proposals and, and updates like when you want to make um, changes. Like I think that that's like a pretty, that's, that's a, a pretty interesting way to do it. Um, and uh, the other way um, that I'm seeing is like um, the new safe DAO that spun out of Gnosis, um, where I'm like a, a delegate. Uh, I've seen that the way that they are doing the, the way that they're doing things is like they're um, they're doing things based on rather than working groups, they're doing things based on a series of strategies, uh, overarching strategies and initiatives and goals and metrics and reflection, where. Um, things are constantly have to have a feedback loop of like, okay, is the thing that we're doing working? Um, what did we learn? Do we need to make any changes? And so to me, like agile, like, uh, 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 but like agile, like a fund uh, allocation systems like those uh, are, are kind of the way to go versus like uh, proposals for every single time that you want to like get paid. 
wow that's that's some pretty insightful i'm definitely going to look these two projects up but yeah over to you devika for the next question thanks apoor um isaac which shows like the dow rose you've definitely established that um you've made yourself so informed about um you know the web3 ecosystem and it takes so much learning with your past in decentralized identity you know security audits um you've learned so much and you've taught yourself so much um i want to ask you like were you naturally good at school talk about how was your experience with education in school um sure so i mean i've always had a like a, a natural curiosity i guess for subjects that i'm that i'm interested in and then uh maybe uh which which tends to be pretty broad so um i guess my my focuses have, have always been kind of like you know uh it wasn't as much computer science early i didn't actually start programming as young as many people that i meet um in in this space like a lot of people are like oh yeah i was making websites since i was 14 and for me when i was 14 the only coding i was doing was like i guess i was doing like bash scripts to like make the computers act funny and annoy my teachers <laughs> like i i was like i i saw computers as a way of just like being like antagonizing and and uh and and being annoying um but then when i went to college and i started studying um i studied electrical engineering in college uh and the thing that um i really enjoyed about that was like just like learning how learning how things work on such a fundamental level um that you uh that you can really you can change behavior on the on the macro level by really understanding how things work on on the on the micro level mm-hmm. and so as an electrical engineer you learn how like uh how to make electrons do what do what you want them to do uh and you know electrons are kind of like people they're lazy they'll take like the path of least resistance so you kind of have to design like low level systems in such a way that like um your your assumptions have to be very airtight because uh you know the they're they're not going to do the hard thing um and you know, the same thing with like people and governance and DAOs uh and so in school when i was studying like these low level systems and um learning how to design just like really airtight things that you deploy into the world and have to just work um to me that's what uh that is what translated later into uh what i naturally uh felt good at with solidity um which is like you know designing these like airtight systems that have to just work and uh and you can't just go in and upgrade them whenever you want um uh so yeah my 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 path towards uh solidity kind of came from like just really diving in and understanding things at a at, at like a deep level that's amazing thank you so much for sharing i think the biggest thing about web3 is like that inbuilt curiosity like you have to have that fire of figuring it out um because this place is constantly evolving you can't just read one article and dive into it it also takes 40 hours of homework to dive into this space and when you're really able to understand the fundamentals it doesn't seem so you know distant from you it doesn't seem so technical and difficult so thanks so much for sharing apoor on to you right um isaac my next question is around like smart contracts right so smart contracts are technically public uh, on the blockchain but again they are not really that transparent especially for most people who are not programmers right um they can't even read code and for people who are programmers um not all smart contract i mean the byte code is present on the blockchain right but to decode that byte code you actually would require the author of the smart contract to have made that code public or maybe have verified it on etherscan right um and this sort of goes against the core principle of having a trustless system in place because you do have 
some immutable program on the blockchain but you can't you don't really know what's happening in there right so how do you think um we can improve this situation like is there anything that can be done how do you how do you make sure smart contracts become more transparent over time so that everyone gets to know what's inside them yeah the, the nice thing is i think the solution isn't necessarily to have to teach everyone how to code that would probably be very that would probably be very challenging um the things that i'm really that i'm really optimistic about that i've learned about in the last 6 months um to a year one is like the simulation system provided by tools like tenderly where um even if you don't understand the code uh like it's no like safe out of this to the ui where it's like okay simulate this transaction and now it's not a question of like can you understand the byte code and like see where all the the funds are going to flow like you just click the simulate button and it says if you take this action um this amount of money will be sent from here to here um this this like system will be approved to spend money on your behalf um like tenderly is still more of a pro tool i think like it's still like not super accessible um and then but but it's a step um and then in the last month um i noticed this uh um developer that i've that i've known for uh, a bit in the dao space um released a tool called fire i think the website's like join fire or something and it's like a chrome extension which works in tandem with metamask um and what this does uh is it, it's intended to help people not get fished uh and the way that it does that is like uh if you're a if you're like on a maybe a sketchy website or even a normal website that's been compromised um and if you click a transaction before it allows you to confirm it it'll like give you a little uh, a little like report that's like hey just so you know um when you click this button you're allowing this contract to uh take all of your nfts um potentially or like if you if you're like clicking this contract you're about to um send all of your uh you know all of your USDC to this random address are you sure this is what you want to do and so it's less about helping people understand the code and more improving the infrastructure around people um understanding the effects of the transactions that they're uh that they're executing wow um okay so that's the simulation thing is like pretty brilliant i'd say uh, especially if it could be made accessible to everyone mm-hmm. but something else i i'm just um a little bit more curious about is um when it comes to everything on blockchain right ether scan is pretty much the window for most people who don't have a node running of their own yeah. to see what's happening over there right everything from funds to tokens to smart contracts to anything that happens right but etherscan is a centralized company right and i remember uh, a couple of days back someone tweeted hey what if etherscan has been fudging numbers all along and not just ftx but like everyone is insolvent right yeah. um, and technically that could be true of course etherscan probably doesn't have like good incentives to do something like that right. but technically they could do that right and if they change whatever they display most people are going to believe it because they have no other source um do you think uh, what do you think uh, about etherscan in general and what do you think should be uh, a solution to this um transparency issue about like whatever's there on the blockchain yeah yeah this is a, a challenging one just because like um Te- yeah like similar to the smart contracts while um while everything is technically there 
Uh, I mean, right now I run like I, I I'm I run like a geth node at home, and I'm at like you know 1.6 out of 1.7 terabytes of space, and I'm like, crap, what am I gonna do? Um, like, how do I how do I upgrade this? Like, it's and, and it's not even an archive node. Like, that's um, that's just like my little like node that I just run for various chores. Um, so it's like um, we can't expect everybody to have to like verify absolutely um, everything. Um, I think that uh, the role of, of companies like Etherscan, um, which have built up a lot of goodwill and trust in the space, is 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 important. Um, and if and but it's a uh, perhaps if there was some system of auditing to test for uh, to test for honest behavior, because um, to me like that's also kind of what the DAO roasts are trying to accomplish um, is like con configuration audits for decentralized systems. Businesses have this. Businesses in the U.S., if they deal with money and personal information, have to go through something called a SOC 2 audit, um, where like you have to detail your business processes, your plans, like how are you handling private user data, how are you handling money, and this is a prerequisite for most for most um, large service providers to even do business with you as a startup. Um, and so we don't really have SOC 2 for like crypto companies yet. I suppose some crypto companies have to go through the traditional process if they want to deal with the with the business world. Um, but this is something that I've been thinking we, we kind of need um, is like, uh, audit, like a, not just smart contract audits, but um, configuration and like uh, configuration audits, um, which is more which is more Web3 native. Um, as far as like Etherscan as a whole, I have very like, you know, positive uh, sentiment about them. I've met a lot. I've met a lot of their, a few of their team members, and uh, and we've like been been like working together on some things around like how to make DAOs more visible on Etherscan. And so over as a whole, Etherscan great. But I mean, even if they weren't, um, how would we how would we have some sort of like um, independent uh, auditing service maybe that's run by a DAO, which is like just yeah. fact checking everything in the in the web3 space and how would we compensate them um, to me that could be uh, that would be pretty interesting like a cftc uh uh is that the right acronym consumer financial protection uh like a cfp whatever that is in the us which is like protects consumers uh, we need like a web3 native one <laughs> definitely and probably one that is like community driven yeah um but yeah thanks for all the insights um over to you Devika. yes um Isaac, I was wondering and I was reading about how much you spoke about the <clears throat> importance of configuration and how you had mentioned that so many times, like, you know, if something goes wrong at a DAO, right, like someone ends up losing money, it is not because of the smart contract is at fault, but it was the misconfiguration part that was at fault. So I'd love yeah. for you to maybe give a little basics about how is a configuration different between a bug in the smart contract and then talk about why is it important for DAOs to really, really rethink about proper like configuration. Yeah, um, it's kind of like in the Web2 space, uh, if you have... Um, like your bank might have great security, but if you have some sort of like password that's like password one two three and you have two factor authentication turned off, then like you know you can't really sue your bank if uh, if if somebody goes in and, and does that. Or the same thing with like uh, cell phones and like SIM swapping. Um, like unfortunately, if you don't have a, a pin on your SIM card, uh, and if you're I don't know, if somebody decides to walk into a store and impersonate you and they can like get a SIM card, then they can like take over your, your identity. Um, like there's not, uh, you could argue that there's something wrong with the system that allowed that, but it's more a problem of like 
the, uh, allowing the certain configurations that you that that people are able to get to, and helping them find like little alerts that can help them um, protect themselves better. So in DAO in the DAO world, I mean this is actually something that we're working on um, at Logos a lot, which I'll um, which I think we'll actually be re releasing in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's just like systems that help people understand what's a safe configuration, what's a not, what's an unsafe configuration, and like what are um, and like where do they need to potentially be like looking as far as resources. And so an example of an unsafe configuration um, is imagine that you have uh, a multi-signature wallet uh, where which has two signers on it, and you need both of them to execute anything. It's like okay, like as a, as a layperson, like cool, that sounds secure. Like we we should both have to sign off. Um, but for me, if I saw a two out of two multisig, I would think like those funds are so screwed um, because like people lose like one person loses their keys like that that just happens. Maybe somebody's on vacation. Maybe like maybe there's something that urgent that needs to happen and someone's like, oh, I didn't bring my ledger to Colombia because I didn't want it to get like stolen. Mm -hmm. um, so like those that's an example of a misconfiguration which would be easy to fall into. And so a, a, re a better configuration for your multisig rather than a two of two is probably make it like, you know, a three of five, where like two are like normal wallets, maybe one is like a backup, uh, and a couple are like things that you've only like printed on metal and stored in a bank vault. Um, so it's easy to use these tools, it's easy to use them poorly. Uh, it, it's hard to, and when you've operated in the space for a while and you suddenly have like, uh, I've probably have like 60 multi-sigs that I'm in some way affiliated with. And I have no way right now of being like, are those all configured properly? Uh, I, I was speaking to somebody yesterday who was like, uh, I was asking him, hey, can you help us get some data on um, what are all the safes associated with various DAOs so that we can like do some security analysis? Uh, and he was like, oh, that's, that's very timely. Somebody just like hacked one of my safes this morning and drained all the funds. Uh, so it's like, this happens to people all the time. Um, and it's like, it's, it's, uh, these aren't smart contract bugs. It's just like lazy settings, um, and no monitoring. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, um, my very obvious follow-up question would be, which is, um, what would you be doing if you weren't in web three, like an alternate career? Yeah. Um, it's funny. Cause like every, every month or so I find like a new hobby and I like go really deep on it. Uh, and I think like, what if this was what I did all the time? And so I get, you can always like look at my desk and figure out what my latest hobby is. Like if you were to look at it last year, it was covered in like Pokemon cards. Um, if you're looking at it today, I've got these like little portable synthesizers that I've been playing with, um, oh like God. doing music stuff. Um, what else is on my desk? Um, like just, yeah. So I, I, uh, I just spent the last two weeks at like an arts residency helping with like these like physical sculptures that do like stuff on the blockchain too. So I don't know, like I, 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 if I was in Web3, I'd be finding ways to keep myself entertained. Um, uh, the field that I think is, uh, I guess if I, I, I had like kind of a fork in my, a fork in my career five years or so ago when I was deciding whether to stay in like semiconductor and computer chip manufacturing or kind of go into Web3. Um, and so I think that it's, it's very possible that I would be, you know, working in a clean room, like making computer chips. That could be one path. Um, I could see a path where I ended up kind of going deeper on art. Um, and then, uh, in the last month or so, I've been learning a bit more about like, you know, stable diffusion models and AI and machine learning. And I'm like, whoa, that's pretty insane too. Um, so I think, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious about almost everything, which is 
you know, good and bad. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. We'd love a photo of your desk on Twitter. Like, you know, maybe like once a year updates to see, you know, what the vibes yeah. are there. <laughs> I'll put one to you now. Thank you. Awesome. Um, Isaac, <laughs> I'm just really curious about like Logos DAO. What is Logos DAOs up to? How do they really operate? And yeah, what's what's just really happening in there? Yeah. Um, so the the primary mission of Logos DAO is just you know growing the number of, of voices in the DAO space and, and helping them operate safely. Um, so we create a lot of educational content. We create a lot of like security tools, um, and we also just like produce content around what we find interesting in the space. Um, we don't develop uh, like DAO governance tooling. We like integrate with a lot of people that do, um, but. Uh, our the, the main thing is we're just trying to build a, a community of people that are uh, like operating safely in DAOs um, and like helping them provide and, and helping provide the resources for them to, um, to to do so in a productive way. And so what that ends up being is like you know we've got uh, content and we have our like you know the DAO roasts and podcasts and, and newsletters and all that kind of stuff, um, which are the which are which are which is the main thing that our community helps us curate right now. Um, and then uh, we have uh, one tool, uh, which is like this, uh, this learning tool where people can come in and just you know, do various uh, tasks to learn about like what the different lingo is in the DAO space, um, get to the point where maybe they're like, okay, maybe I want to start a DAO, and then we can like, give them a grant to, to get started, and then point them to like, um, the right resources. Um, and then the third thing is this, like, um, security, uh, this like, security tool, which help people just like, keep track of everything that's going on um, in their wallets and in the DAOs that they're interested in. Um, and so that's, uh, I'm particularly excited about that. Um, we've been working on it with our DAO members, um, and that should be coming out uh, actually in the, in the next few weeks, um, which I'll be uh, happy to share that. Well, that sounds um, amazing, especially the learning tool. I'm pretty uh, curious about checking it out. Um, but something else I want to get a little bit into is how how do you how does all of this content, the development of the tools, how does all of that work in a community driven fashion? Um, like, do you have a proposal system as well, or do you have or do you have like working groups? How does that really work out? We're kind of just at the point of growth with our community that we need to start tracking, like tracking contributions more, uh, like starting to allocate budgets to communities. Like um, we kind of weren't at that point until uh, until recently. Um, but I'd say like now that we're kind of at, at, at that point where we've, we've grown to the size where like there's a lot of things happening in different corners, we're figuring out, okay, how do we compensate people um, with like, you know, uh, like DAO shares? How do we, uh, how do we give people like badges for uh, that we're like uh, playing around with like different tools for that to recognize when people are doing contributions. Um, and then how does that um, inform how we kind of uh, set up a, a system of community members that are really driving what we're doing. And so we're kind of at that inflection point now uh, where we're figuring a lot of it out. And so ideally we can learn from all of the stuff that we've like, um, that, we've, that we've been doing in, in other DAOs um, and design a really great, uh, a great system for ourselves and for our contributors. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're definitely at that kind of inflection point of like, okay, what infrastructure do we really need to have right now? Um, and how do we set ourselves up best for like a, uh, a, a, like a, a long-term, long-term, uh, success. Yeah, that's, that sounds amazing. And I think like logos could, um, potentially become like an ideal example for other upcoming DAOs to follow. 
because you are the ones that are curating a lot of content about what DAOs are doing right and what DAOs are doing wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah, excited to see how that goes. Um, Hope so. Or maybe we can at least call ourselves out if we make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, we would also definitely love to collaborate or help out in any way we awesome. can. But yeah, for now, Devika, over to you. Absolutely. Um, I think my question to you would be like, talk about a life-defining moment that really shaped who you are as a person. Sure. Um, well, I mean, quite a few, but I think that maybe I'll, maybe I'll focus on like this, um, this like kind of moment that I was at that fork in the road between like uh, engineering and, and, and crypto. Uh, it was like, it was probably like, I had, I, so I got finished school in like 2015. Um, I was really enjoying the semiconductor space. I got this great job at a laser company. I was doing all sorts of fun stuff, like learning about um, like both business and, and, and deep research. And um, I was in like a very, uh, very good position. Um, but then I was uh, a few years in, I was thinking like, okay, I, I, it's, it's, yeah, it was like three years after I finished uh, my degree. And I was like, I need, I feel like I, I felt like I was also at an inflection point then. Um, where it was like, I need to make some big decisions right now, which are going to shape, um, which are going to shape like what, what happens. So I, I lined up, I tried to line up a few, a few different options. I applied to like some master's programs. Um, I, I was accepted into this like kind of data science engineering master's program, um, which I, I think I actually like got in and enrolled. Um, but then I like started going really deep on like solidity and like learning how to do like smart contract audits. And I was thinking, like, if I wanted to have um, a big impact on a nascent space, um, I need to, like, make a bet. Because, um, like, semiconductors and data science and all that stuff was cool. But I kind of felt like I was at, we were at a point in the development cycle of those fields um, where, like, it's, a, it's all cyclical. And so I felt like I was in the wrong cycle to have a big impact in those fields. Um, but perhaps I could time the cycle right to have a big impact in this new field. Um, and so that's when I, uh, uh, that's when I like applied for my first like Web three job, um, and uh, was able to kind of get a role as a Solidity developer, um, and you know unenrolled from the master's program that I that I had enrolled in, um, and like made that uh, and and then quit my job and went uh, went off quit my old job and like kind of went off in that direction. And so it really is like this fork in the road where maybe if I didn't get the job in Web three, it would have stayed a hobby for a while. Maybe I would have gotten this degree. Um, now, it's funny, like now, like four years after that, I'm feeling similarly at kind of like an inflection point where I'm like reading books about, I don't know, different different fields. And I'm like, hmm, do I need a, should I be enrolling in some sort of like program to get more educated in something? But yeah, I think that maybe it's just, there's this like internal cycle in my head um, that I, I uh, it like, it wakes up every few years and I'm like, uh, make, a, make a big decision. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. I think that's one of the best ways to kind of kind of keep yourself in check. Um, what would you say is like your philosophy as a person? Like what is driving these decisions? If you had maybe access to Nawal Ravikant's Twitter for one day, like what would you tweet? Um, let's see. So my my core driving principle is um, is individual autonomy and helping everyone achieve that. Um, I the thing that spoke to me about DAO frameworks was like people were always programming in uh, the fair rights of the individual and the ability of the individual to exit the system with at no cost. 
Um, and uh, if uh, and so to me, the the thing that I find interesting about DAOs is not just the smart contract, but it's like it's the ability to give everyone that sense of autonomy um, and the sense of like a, a a fair way to participate in this in in our like global society. Um, and uh, that has kind of led me to learn a lot more about um, co-ops and the fields of like polycentric governance and like political science and ethnographies of, of societies and like structuralist philosophy and like so I'm kind of like going deep on that uh, stuff now because I'm trying to understand the origins of where um, like the DAOs are not the thing to invent individual autonomy. Like we've 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 had this like concept of the individual for you know as long as humans have been around. And so what I'm just trying to understand is like what, um, how does what we're doing now fit into the long arc of history, um, and uh, what can we do to just make sure we really get it right? That's amazing. Thank you so so much for sharing that. I think that is so special to hear. Um, yes, a fourth auntie now. <laughs> um, so Isaac, my next question is again about um, something you touched upon in your DAO roast, right? So Nouns DAO has one peculiar feature in their smart contract. All the 10 founders, the Nounders, they have a veto power uh, that they can exercise on any proposal if they wanted to. I don't think they have ever used it so far, but um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a fair um, design choice. Do you think other DAOs should have something like that in place? Um, yeah, just what are your thoughts uh, on, on this entire uh, veto power thing? Yeah, I think that, so I've talked to some of the, the nounders about, about this, um, just because like, I'm like trying to understand the, uh, what the motivation is <clears throat> and at what point they think that it might be phased out. Because um, it was introduced as a thing that, um, was to protect the treasury against like takeovers early on when they weren't sure who's actually accumulating what governance weights. Um, if you look at the contracts, like you don't like you can see which addresses own what uh, what nouns, but you don't know if like maybe the same person owns multiple addresses. It's like the classic civil thing. Um, so I think that veto uh, is not necessarily a bad thing in that case. And in fact, in the public nouns extension that we did. Um, we also have uh, a veto power to make sure that funds are being used in the way that um, that uh, that the DAO intended. Um, I think that there's some interesting ways they can take it. There's like uh, there's dynamic some sort of dynamic veto system where perhaps any amount of spending which is you know under five percent of the treasury uh, is totally at the community's discretion. Um, but maybe some like trigger some like things get triggered, some guards get triggered. Where it's like if somebody's somehow like accumulates a bunch of delegates, like we were, uh, which which we might talk about more as well. Um, like what if somebody um, just through like some inattention, everyone's at DevCon um, and partying, and somebody sneaks through a proposal that's like trying to send the entire treasury to themselves. Um, like we, I think that having that dynamic veto is not necessarily a bad thing, um, because like uh, it would, to me, what would be tragic is if. Um, if a DAO implodes because people aren't paying attention and, uh, and like we need training wheels. And so not necessarily a bad thing. I think that what would be nice is if um, the, in fact, the, the veto multisig for nouns is actually different from the nounders. It's a, it's a separate multisig and I can't figure out who's on it. 
Um, like I've, I've tried to go to like the OpenSea profiles of the signers. A lot of them seem just like backup addresses. And so there's no transparency about who's on the, on the vetoers multi-sig. Um, I think that that would go a long way to helping. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially considering the fact that multiple of those addresses could be controlled by the same person. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, hundred percent resonate with, um, with whatever you just said. Something I am a little bit more curious about though is it does make a lot of sense for uh, a DAO in its early phase to have something like that in place just to make sure like nobody, um, I don't know, overthrows uh, the community's core purpose or vision, right? But you mentioned it could probably be phased out in the future, right? How do you decide when you are at a stage where it's okay for the founders to just let go of this, maybe up, have an upgrade in the contract, something like that, um, and just give it all to the community 100%. Yeah, well, I think that there's there's probably two motivations at play at least. Um, one is the motivation of like being true to your word and like really doing having the DAO take over at, at a point that you feel it's safe. Um, the other might even be a like, you know, personal liability thing where it's like at some point, uh, do we want to be viewed as having some sort of administrative privileges over this thing um, versus allowing it to, to be decentralized? And so to me, I think those two motivations probably are at some point will become strong enough um, and the community will be asking for it enough um, that that decision uh, is enacted. Um, but it's not going to happen if, it's, if, if people aren't pushing for it um, and, if, like, that, uh, and if the intentions aren't there. Um, so I think that it'll come. Um, it's just a matter of like, uh, it, it, it's just a matter of time. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot for these insights. Um, over to you, Devika. Yes, Isaac. So, um, one of our exercises that is completely inspired by the DAO roast is asking our guests, we show them the infamous DAO tooling landscape photo, and, um, you will be reading your top three tools and you'll be roasting three tools. So I'm going to quickly share my screen and, um, broadcast that photo and I say you can have your pick. Let's see. So my favorite tools are like the safe is a like Gnosis safe is like uh um is is a favorite. Um it's so extensible. It's so like um it's like it's so much more than a multi-sig. Um and I'm really excited to see all the developments that are that are coming there which which allow people to kind of grow their community grow their governance with their community over time. Um, I'm also a big fan of, of Dow House, um, which is that, you know, that Bauhaus looking logo at the top, um, in, in the frameworks area on the left, it's like the red, white, and, uh, uh, red, yellow, and blue one above sitting above safe. Um, let's see. Um, I'm also a big fan. I'm not sure if they're on here. Um, but like Diamond Dow is doing a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, uh, they probably should fit into that front end of an analytics category. Um, they're doing a lot of really interesting stuff around like um, who is like voting cohorts and and understanding like the less transparent, uh, making the things that are opaque more transparent as far as like how things operate in the DAO space. Um, let's see, my my tool that I always like hardcore roast is on here. It's called Safe Snap. Um, but it's that it's the tool that uses reality.eth to bring to bring snapshot votes on chain. So and where it is, is like, Safe Snap in this um, this thing? 
SafeSnap is in governance and voting um, underneath underneath Gardens next to Commonwealth. Um, oh. It's called like real. It's called. It's just called like the Reality ETH module right now. Got it. Um, but like this is like the this is what keeps me up at night. It's that <laughs> bad. Um, it's like it's the tool is impossible to use as far like it, it takes like minutes to load. It's impossible to know if like the questions that it's asking are actually like um, legit or not. Like it's so easy to sneak through fraud like fraudulent things. It could be made better. Um, so like it's also on me as a DAO ecosystem person not just to like talk crap about it, but actually go in and make it better. It's an open source <laughs> tool. But like so the purpose of me roasting it is not to say it's bad and the people are bad. The people are great. Um, it's just don't let's not be lazy and think that we can't make that better because like it really could, it could cause some catastrophic problems. Um, so, uh, and that was what my talk at DevCon was about is like the catastrophes of, of that module. Yeah. Um, what else don't I like? Um, let's see. This is like a, I guess this is a less, uh, less roasty, more like more of a provocation. Um, but I'd encourage people to like, um, I love Gitcoin. I love Gitcoin passport, but I wonder like, um, there's so much work that goes into that goes into making sure that we have civil resistance for Gitcoin voting because they chose quadratic voting. Was quadratic voting the right decision? Like I'm not roasting, I'm just saying like maybe quadratic voting made it too hard and now we have to do all this like weird anti-privacy passports or not that passports anti-privacy, but we have to do all this like extra work to make sure that we have civil resistance because they chose quadratic voting um, because it was in a fun book. Um, you know, like maybe that's, maybe we should rethink uh, voting systems if they become too cumbersome. Uh, so that would be another one. And then another one that, uh, let's see, what else do I, um, and then this is, uh, this is another tool that I love, but I think could be made better, um, which is uh, Coordinate. Um, so I love, I, I use Coordinate in a lot of my DAOs and I love seeing the map of like who's working with who. What I'd love to see Coordinate do um, is highlight, um, is, is help people not just figure out like how to compensate people, but figure out maybe who's not being compensated enough. Because what I like to do is I like to look at the map of, of uh, the map of contributors in Coordinate and see who's like an island off on their own that's like maybe not receiving a lot of tokens or not giving a lot of tokens and using it as a tool to make sure that everybody is, uh, that everybody's accounted for, um, rather than just being like, okay, who's like the most popular person in this DAO? Um, I'd love to kind of see an alternate view of Coordinate, which is like the, uh, how can we highlight, how can we find the contributors that are quiet, contrib like quiet but valuable people? Um, and I think that perhaps we could see some improvements to Coordinate to highlight that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. This was <laughs> so fun and so, so amazing. I really, really appreciate you to be like super honest and sharing some really interesting and valuable. I'm sure like if someone is really able to revisit this, this gives them an opportunity to like reflect back on see, you know, what are things that we must improve. So um, thanks so much. Let us jump on to community questions. Um, we have one. Isaac, can you access the chat? Uh, yes. So you will see one. Um, would you like to read what it is up? the broader role? Oh yeah. So what's the broader role of formalization and formal verification um, towards detecting adversaries? So um, uh, one 
thing like I, I am even like not really a pro at like what it, what it means to have like formally verified code I know like you know it's hard in ethereum like you can do it in systems like um, like Cardano and other ones um, I think that like uh, I think that an, an interesting thing about this is like even if you have like formally verified code uh, maybe that makes the pros more more comfortable operating a system um, but like as a lay person like do I feel uh, safer interacting with a formally verified system, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think that like, uh, if it makes a system easier to audit and easier to like detect and easier to like predict um, potentially uh, potentially negative behavior, then I'm all for it. Um, but I also want to just make sure that like, um, when, we're, when we're doing things like that, like, does it, uh, does it help the humans in the system? Um, is it, or is it like a nice to have of just, you know, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for taking that up. Um, Apoor, any ending thoughts? Um, yep. Just thanks a lot, Isaac, for joining in. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I'm sure all of us um, have gotten a bunch of really useful insights um, about everything we just discussed. But yeah, um, <laughs> just thanks a lot. Um, yeah, we, thanks for hosting me, and we'd love to maybe have you on have you on our show at some point as well to talk about Dowlands and everything. So, um, thanks for thanks for having me here today. Absolutely, it was such a pleasure, Isaac. I hope you had an incredible time, and thank you so so much, everyone else, for joining. Really, really appreciate you guys. Um, please stay in tune. Next Monday, we are having Marco, um, the DAO lead at Polygon, and going to have another amazing session. So super looking forward to seeing oh, everyone nice. join. I've met, um, I've met Marco. Give, say hi to Marco for me. Absolutely. I want to send you the calendar invite for the session. If you're free, you should definitely tune in. Sure. Um, bye-bye, guys. Right. Have a lovely rest of the day.